ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with the chapter regarding the masajid and the rulings and regulations regarding the masajid, that which is permissible within them, and some of the actions that are not permissible within them. So we reach the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. Qalat, Usiba Sa'adun radiallahu anhu fi ghazwatil khandaq, fadharaba alayhi rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khaymatan fil masjid, in this hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that Sa'ad ibn Ma'adh radiallahu anhu, he was hurt during the battle of Khandaq. During that battle, he was injured. فَضَرَبَ عَلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَّمْ خَيْمَةً فِي الْمَسْجِدِ So the Prophet he made a small compartment in the masjid with cloth, etc. A small compartment was made, like you would see when somebody's doing i'tikaf. A small compartment was made at the side of the masjid with this cloth, etc. min qareeb, so that he could visit him from close by. And this is a hadith which is agreed upon by Al Bukhari and Muslim. So the Battle of Al Khandaq sometimes also known as Ghazwatul Ahzab, Ghazwatul Khandaq, or Ghazwatul Ahzab, the battle of the Khandaq, the trench, or the battle of the Ahzab, all of the groups and parties. Because as you're aware, in this particular battle, then the disbelievers, they all united. The disbelievers from various factions, the Mushrikeen, the Munafiqeen, the Jews, the Christians, etc., all of them, they were united against the Muslims on this particular battle. So it was known as Ghazwatul Ahzab, the battle of all of the various factions. They had all united against the believers at that time. Also known as Ghazwatul Khandaq, these are the names for this particular battle. So all of those factions, all of those groups at that time, they had been gathered, all of those tribes, they had been gathered under the leadership of Abu Sufyan ibn Harb. And they came wanting to finish off the Muslims. Abu Sufyan ibn Harb and all of those other factions who were with him, they came in order to finish the Muslims, to finish the Prophet ﷺ and the believers. فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ خَبَرُ قُدُومِهِمْ so when the Prophet ﷺ became aware that Abu Sufyan ibn Harb is coming with all of these uh, groups with him in his army, istashara ashaba. So the Prophet ﷺ, he sought some uh, advice or counsel from the companions. He sought their opinion regarding the affair. فَأَشَارَ عَلَيْهِ سَلْمَانَ الْفَارِسِي رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ so it was the opinion of Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu. He gave this idea that they should build or rather dig 
this trench around the boundaries of Medina, preventing their uh, arrival into Medina, to build this huge trench, or dig out this huge trench, this huge hole. والخندق هو حفر مستطيل عميق يمنع تجاوز الجنود والخيل إلى ما وراءه. And the khandaq, as Shaykh al-Fawzan says, it is a large trench, which is, uh, it goes long ways, horizontally. A long trench that prevents the people to be able to cross over, and the horses to be able to cross over, and the army is stopped in its tracks. They can't pass through this, what becomes essentially a small valley, a trench for them to go in and come across. فَقَدْ قَالَ سلمان, So Salman al-Farisi, he said to the Prophet ﷺ on this occasion, he said, فارس, He said, previously us, in the land of the Persians, previously, he said, in that time when we used to be there, when the enemy used to come upon us, this is what we used to do. This was one of the strategic ploys we used to have. Now when the enemy was coming in those days over there, we used to build trenches in front of the enemy. So when they would come, they would be stopped in their tracks and we would have some ability to attack. So he said, this is what we used to do. So the Prophet ﷺ agreed with this idea. He agreed with this idea, so he commanded that a trench is dug up on the outskirts of Medina, around the boundaries of Medina. So the Muslims, they dug this trench and the Shaykh says, even though they were hungry and they were in need, at that time they were in, in hunger and in need, and yet despite that they went out and did this physical work of digging this huge trench. So when the disbelievers, they came and they saw this trench, they said, this is a type of strategic move that the Arabs, we never used to know this. Remember, this was the idea of Salman radiallahu anhu from the Persians. They came, the mushrikeen, and they saw this trench, and they said, we never used to know this type of warfare. We never knew this type of plot, this type of plan, this type of strategy of building these trenches. So they were surprised at this. وَذَلِكَ مِمَّا أَيَّدَ اللَّهُ بِهِ رَسُولَهُ and that was something that Allah aided the Messenger of Allah with, with this building of the trench. فَمَنَعَهُمُ اللَّهُ بِهَذَا الْخَنْدَقِ So the approaching army of the mushrikeen, it was prevented and was unable to cross the trench and get to the believers. وَصَارَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ مِنْ وَرَائِهِ يَنْضَحُونَهُمْ بِالنِّبِلْ وَيَحَافِظُونَ عَلَى ثُغُورِ الْبَلَدِ مِنْ أَنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا and so the mushrikeen, their army stopped at the trench and were unable to cross over. And from behind the trench, the believers were hitting them with arrows, etc. Uh, and protecting their boundaries. Despite that, from the trial that occurred at this particular time, it is mentioned, مِنْ شِدَّةِ الْإِبْتِلَاءِ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ أَنَّ الْيَهُودَ وَالْمُنَافِقِينَ خَانُوا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم مِنْ دَاخِلِ الْمَدِينَةِ that army of Abu Sufyan was prevented by the trench, they couldn't cross over. But from the severity of the trial that occurred at that time, the Munafiqeen and the Jews who were within Medina, behind the trench, they were already within Medina from prior to that, living there already. They betrayed the believers 
from within. فَاجْتَمَعَ بِذَلِكَ عَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ مِنَ الْكَرْبِ مَا لَا يَعْلَمُهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And that's what's mentioned in Surah Al-Ahzab, if you read the story regarding what occurred and how from within some of the munafiqeen and the Jews, etc., they also combined forces and all of that occurred. But then it's mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aided the believers with the angels and similarly with the uh, wind that was sent the wind that was sent and that caused the weakness to then befall the mushrikeen further and to confuse them and to worry them even further with this wind and with the sending of the angels etc. until they had to retreat and they were defeated. So this was the battle of the Khandaq in a nutshell. But the point being from this hadith in Bulugh al-Maram in the chapter of the Masajid is that in that battle... In that battle, one of the believers, one of the companions, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, one of the leaders of the Ansar, he was hurt in that battle. He was injured in this particular battle. So when that happened, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sectioned off a corner of the masjid with, uh, as you might imagine now when somebody's doing i'tikaf, you have some cloth, etc., you section off a corner of the masjid. In that way, one side of the masjid was sectioned off in order for Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu to remain and to stay in that corner, in that area, in that side, within this uh, uh, cloth or like a tent within the masjid, to stay in that area because he had been injured and to recuperate there. However, the extent of his injuries were too severe and the blood loss was too heavy, and it's mentioned that Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu died from that excessive bleeding. But what is the point of this hadith then in the chapter of the Masajid? What is the purpose that Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar rahimahullah ta'ala wishes to infer from this particular hadith? What does he wish to deduce from this hadith in the chapter of the Masajid? So, in order to deduce, to understand that it is permissible to cordon off a side of the masjid with some cloth or whatever it may be, to use that, for example, like in this hadith, for somebody who is ill, they need to remain there. It's possible to cordon off a section of the masjid for them to stay there. Or, as you know, for example, there are other reasons why a section of the masjid may be cordoned off or some cloth may be placed to allow people to stay there. For i'tikaf, for example. So those types of uh, sectioning off the masjid with some cloth, etc. To allow somebody with illness or injury to stay there. Or for i'tikaf, for those types of reasons, then it is permissible to do that. And that is what this hadith clearly indicates. That the Prophet ﷺ sectioned off a corner of the masjid to allow Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu to stay in that area whilst he was injured. And even though it's mentioned that after that, due to the blood loss, he died, radiallahu anhu. But this indicates the permissibility of this act of sectioning off a corner of the masjid to allow someone to stay there with these types of reasonings. So that is permissible within the masajid. After that, also the hadith of Aisha, radiallahu anha, qalat, 
رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يسترني وأنا أنظر إلى الحبشة يلعبون في المسجد متفق عليه This hadith which is also agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim states or Aisha radiyallahu anha states that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was covering her, concealing her whilst she was watching the men play in the masjid. The meaning of this hadith will become clear now in the explanation. The Habasha, they are the individuals who are from Africa. This is the name Al-Habasha. And that's even to this day, they can be referred some of the people from Africa known as Al-Habasha. And so they were at that time playing in the masjid. What is this hadith about? This was on the day of Eid. كان هذا في يوم Eid. On the day of Eid, the Habasha, and they are a group of people that are well known, the Shaykh says, and they come from Africa. And even to this day, they are known with this name of uh, the Habasha. Uh, and these individuals, on that day of Eid, some of them, they were playing in the masjid. Or when we say playing, they were practicing their weapons and their various types of weaponry they have. So they were practicing each, with each other, with their weapons, etc. within the masjid. And we may term that as practicing or playing or exercising. And so they were doing that within the masjid with these weapons from their spears and arrows or, or shields, etc. Then they were using them in the masjid with each other, practicing, etc. as a as a form of uh, light-hearted uh, uh, enjoyment for the day of Eid. But at the same time, with the benefit of practicing those weapons, which are useful in the scenario of jihad, etc., so there were two benefits behind that. There was the benefit of actually training, and there was the benefit of light-hearted enjoyment for the dear Eid to be practicing with these weapons and to be playing around with these weapons. So this was occurring within the masjid from some of the Habasha on that day of Eid. So Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that I was watching them do this with their weapons, etc. And the Prophet ﷺ was concealing me so that they would not see her. So what does this uh, mean then? What are the points of benefit from this narration and what occurred on this occasion? Firstly, the purpose of the hadith in this chapter, it therefore indicates what? That it is permissible to, to play in the masjid. However, you must restrict that. It is not just to say openly it is permissible to play in the masjid. It must be restricted. فِيهِ جَوَازُ الْلَعِبِ فِي يَوْمِ الْعِيدِ Firstly, you can say even more specifically, the permissibility of playing on the day of Eid. This was on the day of Eid when this occurred. This was on the day of Eid when this occurred. So this indicates the permissibility of light-hearted enjoyment on the day of Eid. The permissibility of some light-hearted enjoyment on the day of Eid. Because the Shaykh says, لِأَنَّهُ يَوْمُ فَرَحُ وَصُرُورُ The day of Eid is a day of happiness and joy. لَكِنْ يَنْبَغِ أَنْ يَكُونَ ذَلِكَ فِي حُدُودِ الْمُبَاحِ However, this light-hearted enjoyment which occurs on the day of Eid must be something from the boundaries of the permissible acts. Acts or types of enjoyment or playing around that are permissible within the permissible fold. 
Obviously the types of playing around that are impermissible, then they are not allowed. ثُمَّ إِنَّ تَدَرُّبَ عَلَى الصِّلَاحِ يَكُونُ مِنَ الْعِدَادِ لِلْجِهَادِ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Especially now what the Habasha were doing on that occasion, where they were practicing with their weapons, etc., as a form of enjoyment, and also at the same time practicing, they were, as you say, killing two birds with one stone. There was the practice of using the weapons, which would be useful, and on top of that there was light-hearted enjoyment for the day of Eid. That is all good. So here the Shaykh says there was benefit behind that. Benefit in terms of having some light-hearted enjoyment to enjoy yourself and Eid, and also practicing the usage of these items. أَمَّا اللَّعِبْ بِالْأُمُورَ الْأُخْرَىٰ أَلَّتِي لَا فَائِدَةَ مِنْهَا لِلْجِهَادِ فَهَذَا لَا يَجُوزُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ As for other types of enjoyment, light-hearted playing around, that do not have any other benefit to them. That don't have any other benefit. Here there was another benefit, using and training with those uh, pieces of equipment. But other types of playing around and enjoyment where there is no other benefit, there is no benefit to it, then they are not allowed. For example, the Shaykh says playing football. Somebody might say with this hadith now, that it is permissible to play around and enjoy yourself on the day of Eid, and it was being done by the Habasha in the masjid, therefore on the day of Eid in the masjid, we'll have a little kick around with the ball here and there. That is not permissible. The Shaykh says that is not correct, that is not permissible. Or other types of sports. That does not come under this narration of having some enjoyment within the masjid on the day of Eid. That type of enjoyment must be something that has benefit to it, and has uh, external benefits to it. As for something without any benefit, football, etc., other sports, they are not to be conducted within the masjid. So that indicates that those types of activities that do have secondary benefits to them as well, not just enjoyment, then those types of activities that could become useful for uh, the jihad, etc., then they are permissible. But activities that are not of that nature then it is not permissible to use the masajid to uh, waste time in that way. وَفِيهِ أَيْضًا جَوَازْ نَظَرِ الْمَرْأَةِ إِلَى الرِّجَالِ وَهُمْ يَلْعَبُونَ This also indicates that it is permissible for a woman to look at the men when they are engaging in this type of activity, as the Habasha they were, when they were engaging in practicing their uh, uh, equipment. وَقَدْ ذَكَرُوا أَنَّ عَائِشَ كَانَتْ فِي ذَلِكَ الْوَقْتِ صَغِيرًا However, it is mentioned that this hadith, when it occurred, Aisha radiallahu anha was young at the time. She was very young at the time when this occurred. And despite that, the Prophet was still concealing her, making sure that she cannot be seen by the others. Still, he was concealing her, even though she was very young at the time when this occurred. فَدَلَّ هَذَا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْمَرْأَ يَجِبُ أَن تَسْتَتِرَ عَنِ الرِّجَالِ This therefore indicates that a woman must conceal herself and cover herself uh, from being seen by the men. وَلَا تَظْهَرُ إِلَيْهِمْ وَهِيَ صَافِرَةً أَوْ غَيْرَ And she must not reveal herself uh, and become known to the men and be seen if she's not covered properly in that way. وَإِنَّمَا تَنْذُرُ إِلَيْهِمْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ سَتَرْ but if she was observing them whilst they were practicing in this way, then it must be from behind some covering so that she cannot be seen. فَإِذَا كَانَ هَذَا فَعْلُهُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ 
مع عائشة وهي صغيرة فغيرها من النساء الكبيرات من باب أولى فعليهن أن ينظرن من وراء حجاب ومن وراء ساتر لأن هذا أطهر لقلوب المسلمين وأبعد عن الفتنة So if this kind of situation ever occurred and women were observing then they must be doing so from a place where they are concealed and they cannot be seen as the Prophet ﷺ did with Aisha in concealing her. So to summarize therefore it indicates that on the day of Eid it is permissible to have enjoyment and to have light-hearted activities but if they are in the masjid they must be of something uh, of a nature where there is benefit behind them. As for useless types of sports then they are not permissible in the masjid. Um, and also it is permissible for the women to observe the men in this type of activity. If the men were engaging in that type of activity as is mentioned in the hadith, then it's permissible for the women to observe that, uh, but they must be concealed when doing so. After that, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha once again. This time she says, أَنَّ وَلِيدَةً سَوْدَاء كَانَ لَهَا خَبَاءٌ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَكَانَتْ تَأْتِينِي فَتَحَدَّثَ عِنْدِي أو فَتُحَدِّثُ عِنْدِي الحديث متفق عليه In this hadith, Aisha رضي الله عنها says that there used to be a slave girl uh, and she was a, a, a black slave girl at that time. And she used to have a tent in the masjid too. She used to have a section cordoned off for her in the masjid also. And the Prophet ﷺ had prepared that for her. The Prophet ﷺ had prepared this for this slave girl, a section cordoned off in the masjid with some cloth etc. Uh, sectioned off for this particular woman to stay there, this slave girl to stay there. So this therefore indicates the same as the hadith regarding which companion? Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, the same kind of meaning to this hadith, that it's permissible to section off a corner of the masjid to allow someone to stay for particular uh, reasons or situations, as are mentioned uh, in that hadith, somebody is ill or uh, somebody else requires uh, that space, as long as they are not going to cause a problem to the masjid, or reduce the space that is otherwise needed by the people to pray in. As long as there are no complications of that nature, then it's permissible to have a section cordoned off to allow someone to stay in the masjid. And this is another example where this slave girl, the Prophet ﷺ had cordoned off, sectioned off a place for her to stay. Then after that, An Anas radiallahu anhu qal, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم البصاق في المسجد خطيئة وكفارتها دفنها متفق عليه Spitting in the masjid is a sin and the expiation for that is to bury it Spitting in the masjid is a sin and the expiation for that is to bury it Hadith which is also agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim so this spitting, uh, and that is, as the Sheikh says, what comes from the uh, extracts of the mouth, that which exits from the mouth, and also that which exits from the nose. The, uh, the matter which exits from the nose, 
as you blow your nose, and that which exits from the mouth when you spit, all of that it is not permissible to do in the masjid. To blow your nose and to drop that in the masjid, to spit in the masjid. Those activities are not permissible, because these are clearly affairs that are unclean, they are affairs that people would consider disgusting, and so it is not permissible to blow your nose and to leave that in the masjid, or to spit in the masjid. And this therefore, similarly due to the fact that they are affairs that are revolting to the people, to the Muslims, then it would cause the believers to stay away from that place. They would not want to go near that place where a person has done that. تُنَفِّرُ الْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ تَقَعُ عَنْظَارُهُمْ عَلَى مِثْلِ هَذِي الْأَشْيَاءَ الَّتِي يَتَقَزَّزُونَ مِنْهَا وَيَكْرُهُونَهَا So a person, he feels disgusted by these types of affairs, and dislikes these types of affairs, so it is not permissible clearly to do any of that in the masjid. And this is not befitting to be done in a masjid. فَهِيَ إِذَنْ لَا تَلِيقُ بِالْمَسْجِدِ أَمَّا مَنْ اسْتَعْمَلَ مِنْ دِيلًا أَوْ ثَوْبًا وَبَأَسَقَ فِيهِ وَهُوَ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِذَلِكِ As for an individual who needs to blow his nose or sneeze, or has something in his mouth he needs to exit out, then if a person uses some handkerchief or tissue or something of that nature, and does it in that, and then puts that away, and then removes it afterwards into a bin or something, then that is okay. That is okay. A person blows his nose into a handkerchief or a tissue and he's in the masjid. A person has to spit or get something out of his mouth into a handkerchief or tissue or something of that nature. Even if it means doing it into the clothing. And then going out and cleaning it or whatever. As long as it is not left in the masjid. If it is done in some cloth or even in the clothes or a tissue. Then that is okay. Rather what is impermissible is to drop any of that uh uh, the, from the nose or from the mouth into the masjid. There is a hadith that we already covered regarding that. There was a narration we already mentioned regarding the spit. And that was the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, إِذَا قَامَ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ فَلَا يَبْسُقْ أَمَامَ وَجْهِهِ وَلَا عَنْ يَمِينَهِ وَلَكِنْ عَنْ يَسَارِهِ أَوْ تَحْتَ قَدَمِهِ that if one of you stands for the prayer, when you stand for the prayer, then do not spit in front of you, or to the right of you, but to the left of you, or under your foot. Bury it. If that must be the case, and you are uh, needing to do that. masjid. But that is also outside of the masjid. If you are praying outside of the masjid somewhere, not in the masjid, you do not spit on the floor in the masjid. Outside, if you are praying somewhere, you can spit to the left and bury it under the foot unto the ground, but in the masjid you do not do that. In the masjid a person uses a handkerchief or a tissue, even your clothing, if that is required. ثُمَّ إِنَّهُ يَنْقُلُهُ مَعَهُ وَلَا يَتْرُكُهُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ لَأَنَّ الْبُسَاقِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ خَطِيئَةً أَيْ ذَنْبٌ وَمَعْصِيَةً So a person cannot leave the spit, or what he sneezes out in the masjid, even if it's in a tissue, take it out and throw it into a bin, and get rid of it, otherwise it is considered a sin. وَكَفَّارَتُهَا دَفْنُهَا أَيْ كَفَّارَتُهَا إِزَالَةُ وَمَحُوا آثَارِهَا فَإِذَا أَزَالَهَا وَمَحَا وَجُودَهَا فِي الْمَسْجِدِ بِالدَّفَنِ أَوْ بِالْحَكِّ أَوْ بِغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ فَإِنَّهُ زَالَ الْمَحْضُورِ أَمَّا إِذَا بَقِيَتْ فَإِنَّهَا خَطِيئَةً يَأْثَمُ بِهَا مَا بَقِيَتْ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ If an individual did do that, then the expiation or what a person is required to do is to then bury that into the masjid. And that is obviously talking about the days 
when the masajid were dust, and they were simple dust and, and, and uh, soil, so then you could bury it into the ground. Now it's impossible with the carpets. So now an individual would have to use some type of cloth or handkerchief or tissue. But this is referring to the time when the masajid were soil and sand and dust, and it could be buried into the ground. That's what a person would be required to do if they did that. But in any case, the sheikh says, in that situation for sneezing or anything in the mouth, use some tissue or whatever and then remove it from the masjid. After that, we have another hadith of Anas, radiyallahu anhu qal, qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, la taqoomu sa'ah hatta yatabaha al-nasu fil masajid, akhrajahu al-khamsa illa tirmidhi, wa sahahahu ibn khuzayma. That the hour will not be established until the people, they compete or they have some type of competition between themselves, they are proud between themselves regarding the masajid. The explanation will come now. This is from the conditions of the, uh, the uh, signs of the hour. From the signs of the hour, or something which indicates that the hour is very close to occurring, is that the people, they will compete in the masajid. Meaning that everybody will try to make their masjid, the one they build, etc., the most beautiful. Adding as much adornment to it as possible. Adding as much beautification into it as possible. Trying to make this better than others. Trying to make their superior to others. So this type of activity which leads to over usage of wealth unnecessarily, wasting wealth unnecessarily in adornment and beautification of the masajid, then that is a sign of the hour. So this therefore indicates, the shaykh says, that it is actually impermissible to do that. It is impermissible to adorn and beautify the masajid beyond the need, beyond the need and to go overboard in beautifying and adorning the masajid is not from the sunnah. Because the point of the masjid, the shaykh says, لِأَنَّ الْمَقْصُودَ مِنَ الْمَسَاجِدِ الْعِبَادَةِ The point of the masajid is worship. That's the point of the masajid. وَالْعِبَادَةَ لَا تَجُوزُ الْمُبَاهَةِ وَالْمِرَاءَاتِ فِيهَا And something that is linked to worship, then it's not permissible to try to compete and to make yours better and more beautiful and more adorned in front of the others. That type of activity in making it more beautiful and adorned with adornments and beautifications to make it better than others, then that type of activity is not correct regarding the masjid. Because then that leads to a type of showing off that this masjid, the people are attempting to make it more beautified than the one next one. There is competition in who can make it the most beautified and adorned. Then that is a type of showing off that comes into the affair and that is not permissible in worship. فَبِنَاءُ الْمَسَاجِدِ عِبَادَةِ So building the masajid is an act of worship. وَالْعِبَادَةِ يَجِبُ أَن تَكُونَ لِلَّهِ أَوْ خَالِصَةً لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ And building the masajid is an act of worship as we said. Therefore, any act of worship as you know must be done sincerely for the sake of Allah. If therefore you're now trying to build a masjid and trying to beautify it, and make it uh, uh, as, with as much adornment inside as possible, to make it look better than the other one over there, then that is not being sincere to Allah. That is competition between yourselves, and who can make those look the best, and it's a type of showing off. 
So that type of activity is not permissible when it comes to the masajid. The masajid are not for competing or for uh, who can make theirs look the best. It is not about the greatest beautification or adornment. Those types of affairs do not come into this masajid. And we know that from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, مَنْ بَنَا لِلَّهِ مَسْجِدًا بَنَا اللَّهُ لَهُ بَيْتًا فِي الْجَنَّةِ Whomsoever builds a mosque, a masjid for the sake of Allah, then Allah builds him a house in paradise. So these masajid and the building of them, it is an act done sincerely for the sake of Allah, and it is a mistake for those who attempt to beautify them and to adorn them beyond bounds, and they waste their money in doing so. Secondly, the Shaykh says, فِيهِ تَحْرِيمُ زُخْرَفَةِ الْمَسَاجِدِ بِالْأَلْوَانِ وَالْأَسْبَاغِ وَالنُّقُوشِ وَالْكِتَابَاتِ كُلُّ ذَلِكَ مَنْهِيُونَ عَنْهُ The Shaykh says, it is impermissible to beautify masajid with different colors and different types of uh, colors and, and wallpaper, uh, wall, uh, uh, colors and paints, etc. And... Um, Sculpturing, sculpturing into the walls all types of shapes and designs to make it look beautiful. Or writing, having certain types of writing or some Arabic calligraphy, these types of affairs. These types of things to beautify the masajid with colors and sculpturing within it and all types of writing and beautiful writing etc. These types of things within the masajid, the sheikh says they are all prohibited. لِأَنَّ هَذَا يَشْغُلُ الْمُسَلِّينَ عِنْدَ النَّظِرِ إِلَيْهَا Because these types of things, they preoccupy the person praying from his prayer. They disturb an individual from his prayer. If there's all types of sculptures in the walls, and all types of writing and colors, and different curtains and everything, that disturbs the person. We already spoke about the prayer, where you pray, it should be plain. Not to have something which is going to disturb you and to preoccupy you. Even if it's the carpet with patterns on it. Even that isn't befitting if it's going to disturb you and preoccupy you. So what therefore of the walls and the beautification and the adornment? So these types of things should not be done in the masajid. And they are prohibited to be done in the masajid because they will distract the people who are praying. What's required is a simple plain masjid inside. Nice but plain. Not beautiful and adorned with excessiveness, in order that a person can come and concentrate and pray. Uh, the Shaykh says, what's required therefore, is something simple that will protect the people from the elements. It protects you from the heat and the cold. You have a place where it's warm, you can come in, you can pray. That's what's required. Not the beautiful and adorned places with all types of beautification inside of them, excessively without reason. Thirdly, the people who do do that, then this is a sign of the hour. It's a sign of the hour when the people, they attempt to beautify their masajid to this level. And you see that now. You see the people doing it. In these masajid now, to the extent, as we've mentioned before, they even have Christmas lights all over the place. On the domes of the masjid, inside the masjid. Tinsel. You know the Christmas tinsel, they have that. They have it in their masajid, hanging from the ceilings. This is what they do. If you go in, colors, bright colors everywhere. Red, blue, green, all of the colors you can think of, bright and tinsel and shining. This is what they do. And this is incorrect and that's not how the masjid should be. So this is a sign of the hour that the people are engaging in these types of activities 
This indicates that this is a sign of the hour. So that is something regarding the masajid, that they should be kept simple, a place for the people to come and pray and to concentrate, not to be distracted by excessive decoration and adornment. Then after that, عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ما أمرت بتشييد المساجد أخرجه أبو داود وصححه ابن هبان In the hadith of ibn Abbas رضي الله عنهما He says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said I have not been commanded with the tashyid of the masajid. The tashyid is excessiveness. The Prophet said, I have not been commanded to do excessiveness in the masajid, to go beyond the bounds in the adornment and the beautification and the building of the masajid, but to keep them simple, a place of worship. So here the Prophet said, I have not been commanded to go into excessiveness. I have not been commanded to do that. Ma umirtu, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not commanded me to go and build the masajid over and above what is required. What is required is required. For the need of the people, the space and etc. What is required is required. But to go beyond what is required and to uh, place all types of beautiful marble in the walls that you import from other countries and to place all types of Beautiful carpets that come from thousands of miles away, hand-stitched by somebody in another country. This is excessiveness. Excessiveness to this nature is not permissible. And the Prophet said, I've not been commanded to go into this excessiveness when uh, building the masajid. So making these beautiful sites in the masjid is not permissible. وَالَّتِي قَدْ يُقْصَدُ مِنْهَا الْمُبَاهَا أَوْ الْمَنَاظِرَ الْجَمِيلَ so those people who build the masajid in a way that it will be something that is remembered after them. They want this masjid to be remembered after them, how beautiful it is, one of the wonders of the world as they say. Everybody wants this masjid to be recognized and remembered as an antique, something that remains forever afterwards. That particular masjid in the minds of the people, that isn't what it should be about. The masjid isn't something that you are building to be remembered for its beauty and its adornment. The masjid is something that you are there, it is going to be there to allow the people to worship Allah. So excessiveness, adornment, beautification, all of these ahadith, they indicate that it is impermissible to do that within the masajid. You do what is required. That doesn't mean that you can't put in a comfortable carpet. That is permissible to put in the affairs that are needed. A carpet that is standard, comfortable, walls that are built in a particular way to keep the warmth in, uh, the heating, the insulation, these are not excessiveness. That is standard affairs that are needed for that building to be suitable and to last and to keep warm. Standard affairs, permissible. But to go into excessiveness, to buy a clock, a beautiful chandelier worth thousands of pounds, to go into the main prayer hall, this is excessiveness. So this is not permissible, but the standard building of the masajid, what is needed by the people to keep that masjid nice and proper, then that is permissible. Um, then after that the hadith of Anas radiyallahu anhu قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عرضت علي أجور أمتي حتى القضاة يخرجها الرجل من المسجد 
رواه أبو داود والترمذي واستغربه وصححه ابن خزيمة This particular hadith, Anas radiallahu anhu says that the Prophet said that the rewards of my people, they were presented to me. That the Prophet was shown the actions of all of his ummah, what they would do and the rewards they would get. To the extent that he was shown that from one of the rewardful things is that a person, he removes something dirty from the masjid. An individual removes something dirty from the masjid, even that is a rewardful action. Some tissue you see lying around, some other dirt you see lying around, a person removes that litter, that dirt, whatever it is from the masjid, however small it may be, then that is a praiseworthy action, something that you are rewarded upon. This particular hadith with this wording is weak. The particular hadith with that wording is weak. However, the meaning of it is clear though. The meaning is clear. That an individual, he removes the dirt or some litter that you see in a masjid, and that is a rewardful thing. That is okay, there's no issue with that. To remove any dirty or harmful thing from the masjid, to keep it clean, then that is something good and rewardful for an individual to do. So the shaykh says, وَهِيَ الشَّيْءُ الْقَلِيلَ الْمُسْتَكْرَهِ مِنَ الزُّبَالَاتِ أَيِّ نَوْءٍ مِنْ أَنْوَاعِ الْأَوْسَاخِ الَّتِي تَكُونُ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ وَلَوْ كَانَتْ يَسِيرًا even if it was something really small, a small scrap of tissue that you see lying around, a small, some other twig or something you see in the masjid, anything that may harm the people, they may put their forehead onto it, some other small tissue you see lying around, some pebble you see lying around, any small thing that may be an issue or something dirty, if a person was to remove that from the masjid, then this is a good action, the shaykh says, فَقَدْ عَمِلَ عَمَلًا طَيِّبًا يُؤْجَرُ عَلَيْهِ And he'll be rewarded for that. So this is something that's clear that a person who keeps the masajid clean and he aids in doing so, then that is an action that is rewardful for doing so. وَهِيَ الشَّيْءُ الْأَسِيرُ فَكَيْفَ بِغَيْرِ ذَلِكَ فَمَنْ يَقُومُونَ عَلَى تَنْظِيفِ الْمَسَاجِدِ وَإِزَالَةِ الْأَذَى مِنْهَا The Shaykh says this is referring to an individual who removes some small item of uh, dirt or tissue or whatever it may be from the masjid as a one-off. You see something and you remove it, you'll be rewarded for that. The shaykh says, what therefore of the people who regularly do that properly? Every week a person volunteers, he says, I'll clean the masjid. He says, what therefore of the reward of those people who come and clean the masajid? Somebody says, I'll volunteer, I'll clean the wudu area. Every week on on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever day, I'll come and clean that area. Another person says, I volunteer, I'll come and clean Hoover the masjid. The people who come and clean the masjid, they come and do that, and the shaykh says, consider the reward that they will get. There is a reward within that, no doubt, in keeping the masjid clean. La shakka bi'anna al-ajr yakunu lahum a'zam. The reward for those people is even greater. Lida yanbaghi ala al-mar'i an la yufawwita ala nafsihi al-ajr fi izalat al-awsaakh wal-aqdar anil masajid. So a person shouldn't forfeit that. Should be eager to come and help in cleaning the masjid and keeping it clean. And helping in doing so. And there's a great reward within that. وَلَوْ كَانَ لِتَنْظِيفِ الْمَسَاجِدِ مُوَظِّفُونَ وَعُمَّالِ يَقُومُونَ بِهَذَا الْعَمَلِ Even if there are people who may be uh, legislated or given the responsibility of doing that, if you were to come and help and aid in doing so, 
then that is something of great reward in keeping the masajid clean. And that's why the Hafiz mentioned this hadith in this chapter to indicate the reward of the individual who cleans and keeps the masajid clean. After that, we have the hadith of Abu Qatada, and it's the final hadith in this particular chapter. عن أبي قتادة رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Abu Qatada رضي الله عنه he says the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said إذا دخل أحدكم المساجد المسجد إذا دخل أحدكم المسجد فلا يجلس حتى يصلي ركعتين متفق عليه Hadith which is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim once again, Rahimahumullah, that the Prophet ﷺ said, if one of you enters the masjid, when you enter the masjid, then do not sit down until you have prayed two raka'at. Tahiyatul masjid. If one of you comes into the masjid when you enter the masjid, then do not sit down. Do not sit down until you have prayed two raka'at. And that's a hadith in Al-Bukhari Al-Muslim. So this is from the mannerisms of the masjid. This is the mannerisms a person must adopt regarding the masajid. That when a person enters, he prays the two raka'at that are known as tahiyatul masjid, the greeting of the masjid. فَإِذَا دَخَلَ الْإِنسَانُ الْمَسْجِدَ وَأَرَادَ الْجُلُوسِ فِيهِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَجْلِسُ حَتَّى يُؤَدِّيَ تَحِيَّةَ الْمَسْجِدَ وَهِيَ لَيْسَتْ مِنَ النَّوَافِلَ الْمُطْلَقَةِ وَإِنَّمَا هِيَ نَافِلَ مُقَيَّدَ وَمُرَتَّبَةِ So when a person comes to the masjid, the shaykh says, and he wants to come in and sit down, then he should not do so until he prays the two raka'at, the greeting of the masjid, and that is a specific prayer. It's a specific prayer for your entering of the masjid. It's not just a general supererogatory prayer. It's a specific one with a reasoning to it. And that reasoning is the entrance of the masjid. So the hadith indicates therefore, that a person who enters the masjid, and he wants to sit down, then he should pray the two. Uh, as for an individual who comes into the masjid, but he has no intention of sitting down, he actually just wishes to pass through. He wants to come in and pass through, he needs to get to the office or something and then leave again. Uh, he needs to come in just to pick something up. If he forgot something, he forgot his bag in the masjid, he comes back in, he just wants to pick that up and go, or he wants to come through the masjid to get to the office or something. He doesn't intend to come in and sit down. He just has to come in for some other reason, some other chore, do something, pick something up, go through. For that type of individual, then he is not commanded to have to pray the two rak'at. If you're just going to come in to pick up a bag you left behind, then you can pick it up and go again. You don't have to come in, pray the two raka'at, then get the bag and leave. You don't intend to sit down, you don't intend to stay. You're just going to come in to pick up the bag and leave, so come and pick it up and leave. You don't have to pray the two raka'at then. Or an individual is just passing through, he's just come in to get to the office to see someone, then he has to go again. You're not going to come and sit in the masjid, you don't intend to do that. Again, he doesn't have to pray the two raka'at. So in those instances where an individual, the shaykh says, لا يريد الجلوس He doesn't intend to come in and sit down. إنما يريد المرور He just wants to pass through for whatever reason. أو أخذ شيء من المسجد Or he wants to pick something up and leave. فإنه لا يؤمر بصلاة ركعتين Then he is not commanded to have to pray the two raka'at in that situation. 
And there are other situations the scholars have mentioned. For example, an individual is sitting in the masjid, waiting for the prayer. For now, Maghrib is coming. Imagine somebody breaks the wudu, and the wudu area, it was just outside the masjid. Often in Saudi Arabia, in those places, the wudu area is always located outside the actual main building of the masjid, aside or at the back. You walk maybe two or three steps outside the masjid door, and in front of you there'll be a small building or to the side where the wudu building is. The scholars, they say, if you're sat in the masjid, and your wudu breaks and you need to leave, and you're barely going to go just opposite the masjid, 10 meters, and there's a small building where the wudu area is, you're just going to go there to make wudu and come back. When you come back, they say, you don't have to pray to hate masjid. You were in the masjid, you barely left for a couple of minutes, just there, you've not even gone anywhere. You can come back and you don't have to repeat it. Those types of situations, the scholars say there's leeway. But when an individual comes to the masjid for the first time, he's entering, he's going to sit down now, you pray the raka'atayn. But in those certain types of situations, you're barely going to leave to make wudu, etc. Some of the scholars, they allow some leeway in that. But otherwise, when an individual enters the masjid, generally speaking, you come in for a lesson, you come in for the prayer, you come in for some other reason, then tahiyyatul masjid should be prayed first. And that's what the hadith indicates. هذا الحديث يدل على مشروعية تحية المسجد لمن أراد الجلوس. The hadith indicates the legislation for praying the تحية المسجد for somebody who wishes to sit down. And this is a sunnah mu'akkada as many of the scholars say. فمن جلس ولم يصلي تحية المسجد فإنه ترك سنة مؤكدة لا يأثم بذلك. Many of the scholars they say that if an individual came in and didn't pray Tahiyatul Masjid and he sat down, then it's not something that will be recorded as a sin against you. However, no doubt you've left the Sunnah. The Sunnah is for you to pray the Tahiyatul Masjid. That's the Sunnah. That's what the Prophet ﷺ commanded us to do. But many of the scholars hold the opinion that it is Sunnah Mu'akkada. You really should do it and it should not be left. Due to this hadith very clearly saying, if you come to the masjid and you're going to sit down, then pray. So you shouldn't go against that. You should follow the command of the Prophet ﷺ in that. So that's what the Shaykh mentions. But since some of the scholars, they say, it is sunnah mu'akkada, if an individual did end up leaving it, it cannot be said that there's a sin upon him. But really, he should have done it. He has missed out on a great reward by missing it. Uh, فَتَحِيَّةُ الْمَسْجِدِ مُسْتَحَبَّ عِنْدَ جُمْهُورِ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَلَيْسَتْ وَاجِبًا So many of the scholars, they consider that it is something mustahab and that you really should do it, but not something that can be considered as an obligation. Many of the scholars say that. Some of the scholars, they hold the opinion it's an obligation. And if you don't do it, it's a sin. Some scholars hold that opinion too. Um, the reason why the scholars say that this cannot be said it is an obligation, the ones who say it's only sunnah mu'akkada, is because of the hadith of the A'rabi, لَمَّا ذَكَرَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ لِلْعَرَابِ الصَّلَوَاتِ الْخَمْسِ وَبَيَّنَهَا لَهُ قَالَ لَعْرَابِ هَلْ عَلَيَّ غَيْرَهَا قَالَ لَا إِلَّا أَنْ تَطَوَّعْ The hadith which is in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, when an individual said to the Prophet or the Prophet ﷺ rather told him about the five prayers, Al-Fajr, Wal-Dhuhr, Wal-Asr, Wal-Maghrib, Wal-Isha. Then the individual said, Are there any other prayers upon me, obligatory upon me? And the Prophet ﷺ said to him in that hadith, 
there are no other obligatory ones except if you pray supererogatory ones. Other than the five, there are no other obligatory ones. So many of the scholars take the opinion that even Tahitul Masjid is outside of those five. Al-Fajr, Al-Dhuhr, Al-Asr, Al-Maghrib, Al-Isha. And therefore they say it can't be said it's obligatory because the hadith says there are no other obligatory ones beside them. So they say it's sunnah mu'akkada due to some of those types of evidences. But like we said, some of the scholars do hold the opinion it is obligatory. In any case, an individual should do it. In any case, an individual should do that. When you enter the masjid in accordance to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, you should pray tahiyatul masjid before sitting down. After that, الحديث يدل على أن مشروعية تحية المسجد متعلقة بالجلوس فيه في أي وقت. This hadith, and this is an issue we spoke about right at the beginning when we were talking about the times of the prayers. This hadith indicates that the prayer of تحية المسجد is a specific prayer with a specific reason. And that is the entering of the masjid. Therefore, whenever an individual enters the masjid, even if it is in the prohibited times of prayer, then you can still pray that in accordance to many of the scholars. Because it is a prayer with a specific reasoning. And we spoke about that previously. What were the five times of prohibition for prayer? Before that. The uh, where after Fajr? After Fajr, from the beginning of Fajr or after Fajr prayer, from where? After Fajr prayer to sunrise. Where, where, which evidence? Who said that? You're right. Some of the scholars said that. However, the opinion was from the time of Fajr. When Fajr time begins, up until sunrise, there is no other prayer apart from Fajr, two raka'at, and the two sunnah for Fajr. You can't pray nawafil from Fajr afterwards. When the adhan for Fajr goes, the second adhan, Fajr time has started. You can't pray nawafil, tahajjud, qiyamul layl, you have to stop. It's a prohibited time. The only prayer allowed then is the Fajr, two raka'at, and the two sunnah that go with it. So from the beginning of Fajr time up until sunrise, that's one. There only Fajr is allowed and the two raka'at for Fajr. Then the second time, before that, the sunrise itself. So beginning of Fajr up until sunrise. Then sunrise itself, as its sun comes up, those first moments of the sun coming up, that early time when the sun is rising, prohibited again. That's the second one. Really you can think of that as one big one. From the beginning of Fajr up until after sunrise. Then after that, the zenith, the midday. When the sun is right at the peak. Then after that? So after, from the Asr up until Maghrib. From Asr up until Maghrib. Uh, some of them say Asr up until just before Maghrib. And then just before Maghrib up until the actual sunset and, and the time of the sunset. They are the prohibited times. That's, uh, that, that is either two or you can consider it one long one again. Revise those lessons. The other prohibited times. If a person walked into the masjid at one of those times, is it permissible to pray tahiyyat al-masjid or not? 
This was the issue. Some of the scholars said no, because they are prohibited times. But some of the scholars said these are prayers with specific reasons. So prayers that have a specific reason, you can pray them even in those prohibited times. So even if a person came in after Asr, before Maghrib, then you can still pray the two raka'at. Even if a person came in in the morning, in the Fajr time, you can still pray the two raka'at al Masjid. And that's what some of the scholars they mentioned regarding that. Um... That's it. That's the conclusion of this particular chapter regarding the rules and regulations of the masajid and some of the affairs that are permissible within the masajid, some of the things that are impermissible within the masajid, some of the morals and behaviors and manners that a person should be upon when entering the masjid and how to behave within the masajid. And there are other things. These are some of the things that Al-Hafid ibn Hajar has mentioned. There are other things also, raising the voice, for example, speaking loud and shouting. That is not something permissible within the masjid. And there are these types of activities that have been mentioned in relation to the behavior within the masajid. So that is the end of the chapter regarding the rules and regulations of the masajid. The next chapter will be, inshallah, the actual description of the prayer. How to actually pray. The movements in the prayer, what is recited in the prayer, the takbirat of the prayer, the actual description of the prayer, the do's and the don'ts, etc. That will be the next chapter, inshallah. But that's going to begin after a while. Next lesson, in two weeks time, which will end up being just a few days before Ramadan, inshallah. The next lesson... 5th of July. 5th of July, inshallah, will be just a few days before Ramadan. That lesson as a one-off, we're going to do a one-off independent lecture on the virtues and fiqh of Ramadan. The virtues and fiqh of Ramadan on the 5th of July, it will be a separate independent one-off lecture. Just on the issues of Ramadan and some of the fiqh about Ramadan. About the suhoor, about the iftar, about the do's and the don'ts of Ramadan. The common questions people always ask. So we'll do one lecture by itself separate on the virtues of Ramadan and some of the fiqh of Ramadan of the main points regarding Ramadan. So that everybody has an overview and is prepared for the month of Ramadan when it begins inshallah ta'ala. So you should encourage your friends and families and other people who maybe don't attend regularly but as a one-off they can come and that will aid them and perhaps it will encourage them to attend regularly thereafter also. But that will be, inshallah, a one-off lecture by itself about Ramadan. That will be the next one on the 5th of July. And then after that, at some point, uh, whenever the next one is, we'll start with the chapter of the prayer itself, inshallah ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Um, you, you just have to join in, into the prayer straight away. Um, you still have to make up Tahitul Masjid afterwards. So the question is, a person walks into the masjid and the jama'ah is already praying. They've already started the congregation, Asr or Dhuhr or whatever it is. So you walk in, obviously you join into the congregation straight away. After the congregation finishes then, and you get up and make up the rest of your prayer, once you finish, 
do you then have to pray Tahiyatul Masjid? Because you obviously didn't pray. You walked in, the congregation was already praying, and you had to join them. You can't stop and start praying Tahiyatul Masjid, then join the congregation. Obviously you join the congregation straight away. Do you then have to pray Tahiyatul Masjid afterwards? The answer is no. Because the point of Tahiyatul Masjid is that when you enter the masjid, you pray a prayer. This other prayer that you prayed in congregation, it covers you for Tahiyatul Masjid. It's like in the morning for Fajr. If you come to the masjid in the morning for Fajr, and you walk in and you pray your two sunnah for Fajr, the ratiba for Fajr. When you pray that two, that covers you for Tahiyatul Masjid. You can just sit down after that. You don't have to say to yourself, I still need to pray Tahiyatul Masjid, then I can sit down. You prayed your two sunnah that go to Fajr, that is done now. Your Tahiyatul Masjid is done. Same for the other prayers. If you come in for any other prayer, you pray the sunnah that go with that prayer, they cover you. Or you come in and the congregation is on and you join with them, then that prayer covers you. You don't have to stand up and pray a separate Tahiyatul Masjid afterwards. Can you combine with your intention to no, that's true. That's what it is. When you're praying your rawatib, you're praying with the intention of the rawatib. Even if you didn't make the intention of the al masjid, that's within it anyway. You're covered now. You don't have to do it. it, it it's gone. The tahayyut al masjid is within that two rakaat. As long as you've prayed two rakaat, that's done for tahayyut al masjid. Even if you didn't make the intention of it, but having to make the intention specifically, Allah alam. But it covers you for the prayer. So we'll leave it there. Uh, next uh, lesson, inshallah, will be the one on Ramadan.